And if you would, please be opening to Acts chapter 10. I've been anticipating uh, reading this chapter, preparing, studying to preach this chapter. Uh, it, it is, it's a wonderful, fabulous chapter in the Bible. But particularly in light of what's happening to Israel today in our cultural context and the war that we're watching take place on the news, uh, there's a different perspective that we bring in our understanding. And I'm gonna, <clears throat> as we work through the passage, I'm going to highlight uh, a few of those. But this was a, you know, this chapter seems that it's about Cornelius and his salvation, and it is. That's a big thing. But this chapter really is about Peter. I got a bunch of qualifiers going on in my head. It's about both, but it's about what God does and communicates to Peter in order to bring about salvation to the nations. And he's got to adjust some things in Peter's thoughts. And a lot of times God has to adjust some things in our thoughts, right? He needs to adjust some things so we can get on his plan. Because we really do have a a gospel that goes beyond all boundaries, all restraints. The power of God shows up in so many ways. So we're going to look at the chapter in its entirety. So if you would please follow along as I read from God's word. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius, and he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God, and now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a a devout soldier from among those who attended him, and having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened in something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And a voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you were looking for. What is the reason for your coming? 
And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who was well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, has directed by, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter arrived, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit with anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection I asked then, why have you sent for me? Cornelius said, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon a Tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, After the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. But they put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to judge, to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. Lord, would you stir faith in us for all that you do to expand your kingdom? and for the gospel to go into the hearts of everyone who fears you. We want to trust you and have faith for that. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Sometimes we can have some preconceived notions and ideas of what we think God will do in any situation or in our lives. And I think Peter shows and and what is very similar to Peter's thought process I think in in terms of thinking of the Gentiles is very similar to how Jonah felt about the Ninevites he didn't want to go to Nineveh do you know why 
It's revealed way in the last part of chapter 4 in Jonah. Jonah said, God, this is why I didn't want to come here, because I knew you would forgive them. I don't like these people, and I don't want you to like them, but you forgave them. This is why I didn't want to come. Jonah knew something about God that he said, I don't want to go there because you're gracious and you're merciful and you're forgiving and I want them to be punished. So that thought process from Jonah carries into the Israel as a nation for centuries. But all that God is doing here with Cornelius, with the Gentiles, it's all according to God's plan. We often think we know God's plan well enough that we'll begin to make assumptions about his character, about his actions. And sometimes we need to be reminded of the great prophet Mike Tyson, the boxer, who said this, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Sometimes we just get punched in the mouth when it comes to what we think about God, and it stuns us, and we have to say, all right, God, you need to reorder how I'm thinking about things. See, God's accomplishing his plan, and he's not, our plan needs to get on his page, not the other way around, but we need to make sure we know his plan. This chapter shows uh, competing plans between God and Peter. Peter needed a supernatural lesson to reorder his perspective, to reorder his assumptions and plan in order to include those that he thought too unworthy or unclean to receive the love of God. See, the unclean and the common, they needed to receive the punishment of God. God was changing Peter's mind in order to change everybody's mind. The story takes place as a triplet of sorts, but we have the chapter. Um, when the, when the, all of the New Testament books were written, there weren't any chapter numbers or verse numbers. It was just a flowing thought um, that came several hundred years later when everybody started doing that. So sometimes the, the breakup of paragraphs and chapters and, and chapter numbers um, Sometimes it messes with the flow of thought. But the healing of Aeneas and the, the resurrection of Tabitha that we looked at last week, the, the experience with Cornelius fits with those. Because Luke is wanting to show, hey, the power of God shows up over sickness and disease. It shows up over death itself. But now it shows up over discrimination. But we see in the first few verses, verses 1 through 8, is that God's heart extends to the nations. To all the nations, it's always been his heart. It's always been his desire. Cornelius is representative of God's heart to draw all those who will call upon him. And Cornelius is described as a God-fearer. This was a, a title for Gentiles who wanted to follow the Ten Commandments, but they stopped short at circumcision and kosher foods. They're like, well, I kind of want to eat what I want to eat. don't want to do the circumcision thing, but I really love God, and I think he's going to send the Messiah one day. They were called God-fearers, different than a, a proselyte. But he then, in his devotion, uh, he's probably over, as a centurion, he's probably over about 100 men, but he, he's wanting to obey God. And he's got this angelic visit, this, uh, when was he praying? Ninth hour? Or, or Yeah, ninth hour of the day, about 3 p.m. is when he was praying. That was typical of, of how Daniel prayed. He prayed three times a day, and so people who were devout, uh, they, they just wanted to follow the model maybe that Daniel did. So he was 
maybe doing the same thing. Peter at noon, probably doing something similar in his prayer time. But what we see from this angelic visit is first, God finds those who look for him. You know, if you ever uh, hit with the question, what if there's just somebody on an island in the Pacific that would never have somebody come and tell them about Jesus? What, what happens there? Well, I think Cornelius, and we have this in modern day testimonies. God shows up to them in visions and dreams. Uh, particularly in Muslim countries, Jesus shows up in Muslim people's dreams all the time. All the time. God goes after them. Now what that what it seems to do, what it did with Cornelius, the angel didn't explain the gospel because the gospel, God wants to involve people in that. So people then go, but God sends the people too. That's why our obedience to the Great Commission to go to the ends of the earth is what? God's already doing something. We want to participate with what he's doing and be able to enjoy the the party of heaven that, that sees someone come to faith in Christ. But we also see from this angelic visit that terror is a common response to seeing angelic visions. I I have a a cynicism that just comes naturally to me that I just don't, maybe because I'm Gen X, I don't know, but I I don't believe something right away. Like, yeah, let's see. When we see in the New Testament, when angels appear, the first response is, oh, no. Not, wow, I just went to heaven. Now, people who say they have a, a heaven experience, I think they had something. But what I don't hear, this is where my cynicism comes in, what I don't hear is, well, first I was terrified, and the angel or God or Jesus had to tell me, it's okay, I'm not going to kill you. Because that's what happened in the New Testament. Mary, <laughs> Joseph, Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, they, when, when they encountered holiness, they were immediately aware of their woe, like the Isaiah, woe is me. I'm unclean. That's purity. I'm, I'm impure. No, that's holiness. I'm unholy. I'm unworthy. I can't look at it. So just a little terror is part. When we see that holiness of God, there is a tinge of woe, woe. But there is the comfort that says, no, keep coming. Keep coming to experience the peace and the love in that holiness. But the angel tells Cornelius that God is responding to him because of his, his alms. He, he gives away what he has to help the Jewish community, but he also prays. And so this is, not, this is not just, hey, you checked off the boxes, God saw that, so now he's coming to you to answer your prayer. No, God responds to faith and he responds to sacrifice because it was rooted in, in what Cornelius wanted from God. His prayers and his alms were demonstrations of his faith and his sacrifice. His heart was for the Lord. And we see that in his obedience to, oh, I'll, I'll go send for Peter. And then from verse 9 through the first part of verse 23, we see that God's getting Peter on the same page as him. Peter, come over here and... Get on the page with me. 
And he gives him this by this divine illustration of, look, first, he's hungry. Some people might think that is, well, you were hungry, so you made this up. No, sometimes God uses the weird, uh, you know, fasting produces that hunger in us that says, Lord, I want to go for that right now. But rather than go for that, I want to choose you. And so it puts, hunger puts us in this weird spot to be able to listen sometimes. Unless you're hangry. Then like eat a granola bar, then ask to, for God to speak to you. But look, he wants something to eat. He, goes, he falls into this trance. God shows up to him. But look at verse 11. He saw the heavens opened. That's a big deal. The heavens were opened. Peter was there when Jesus got baptized. You know what the Bible says? The heavens were torn open. But now the heavens are open. Peter understands this is coming directly from God. I need to listen. God is speaking to me and he sees this great something like a great sheet descending. And I was asking, why? What? It's, what? A sheet? weird if you look at the original word it could also be used as a sail the same word could be used as a sail that's on a ship Uh, maybe that was more relatable for peter as a fisherman he knew sails and so it was ordinary and he knew it was something that he uh, i don't know it's being it's being let down by the corners from heaven with all of these kinds of animals uh, uh, birds, reptiles, all of them are in the sheet. He hears rise, kill, and eat. Peter's first response, no way. Maybe Peter thought that was a test. This is a test. Like, I already denied you once, Jesus. I'm not going to do that again. I, this, I'm steadfast now. We did the whole thing at the beach. You restored me. It was cool. I'm, no, I, uh-uh. I am not going to fall for this one, Lord. God's going after something. And God does things three times with Peter. They need to, I find sometimes God works with me that way. I need to have like three different perspectives to go, okay, yeah, God, I think you're talking to me now. But those four corners can also represent uh, the directions of a compass. We learn that in the Old Testament, when God, in Revelation, when God speaks of the four corners of the earth, he's speaking of just everything. So now he's saying, from everything, wherever animals come from, kill and eat. No, God, I'm not sure what this is saying. There were some deep assumptions about how God thought about other people that began to be undone by this vision Because when Peter says, I have never eaten anything common or unclean, that would bring back, uh, and Peter was a good Jew. He knew the Old Testament. He followed it. We have to go back. There was good reason for Peter's response to the vision to kill and eat. Because God instructed his people in the Old Testament to separate themselves from foreigners, those who were not Hebrew, those who were not of Jewish descent. So the Old Testament says, stay away from them. So, well, God, I know the Old Testament. Why would you be telling me this? No, that's everything common, unclean, no, ceremonially unclean. 
See, God in the Old Testament gave specific instructions to separate relationally from other nations in order order to preserve the spiritual well-being and spiritual health of the nation. God said, if you intermarry, you're going to follow their gods. You're not going to follow me anymore. So separate uh, yourselves from them. But God also gave dietary instructions to preserve the identity of his community that was to live with him by faith. So they were dietary. It wasn't because uh, something that happened a few years ago was like, oh, it was because those other animals carried diseases and God wanted to protect the physical health. Yes and no. Because God still cared about the nations and they were eating pigs. And they weren't all getting sick from them to die off. And so, but when we look at the dietary instructions, it was to preserve. What God was saying was, Don't eat those foods in order to be my people. So, But when you're eating, you're reminded that you're my people. And when people look at you, they are reminded, oh, you eat kosher, you eat those things, you have all those restrictions because you're God's people. It was to preserve their identity as a physical reminder that they would be eating their identity almost, but also for others to look in and see that as well. Now, God is communicating to Peter that the Old Testament fast, it's over. We don't have to fast anymore. There's a new way to think about food. There's a new way to think about outsiders, particularly Gentiles. And there's evidence that Peter has begun to put the pieces together. He's already begun. Even before the men show up, he's getting the lesson after three times. And he... He's told by the Spirit, go go with them without hesitation. In other words, go with them without distinction. Don't make a distinction about the people that you're seeing that are asking for you. Go with them because I sent them. This is a revolutionary moment for Peter. He had good reason for hesitation for the Gentiles because throughout the history of Israel, most Gentile nations wanted the Jewish nation to be exterminated to be non-existent this is the tension that we see in the present conflict with Israel and Hamas history is replete with examples of nation after nation that strove to exterminate the Jewish population the hatred for Jews is all strong all through human history Because it's from the devil. The devil doesn't want the Messiah to be known. So he wanted the Jewish nation to be annihilated. And he found willing participants. Now, even in the United States, there's willing participants. If you're looking at somebody and you recognize their last name, and all of a sudden something, yeah, figures they're rich because they're Jewish. Whoa, 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 whoa. We have to be very careful. There is there's a hatred of Jews that we don't understand either. And that's what we're seeing played out on the world stage. Um, when Hamas attacked Israel, other Muslim nations celebrated by giving a day off. We don't understand that type of hatred. 
and because of the United States' posture uh, as a friend to Israel. That's why we don't, partly why we don't understand. But when you think about Peter's hesitation, and you think about the zealots that were following, even Simon the zealot that followed uh, Jesus as one of his 12 disciples, remember, a zealot said, we've got to get Rome out of here. And the Romans treated the Jews with disdain. Think of the book of Esther with Mordecai seeking literally to annihilate the Jews. There's some of this we don't understand. So it also puts some of Jesus' teachings into perspective. When Jesus is teaching, and and I was reading this past week in John, around chapter 7 or or 5 through 7, I forget where it was, uh, because that was the portion I read. Um, When Jesus had some of his disciples that, disciples that left because his, te- his teachings were hard. These are hard sayings. I got to walk away. Why were they so hard? Because when Jesus says stuff like, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, Jesus is talking about those that want you dead and those that are active in seeking your annihilation and your extermination and your subjugation on this earth. Puts it in a different perspective. See, when we read those, it's like, man, I've got to put up with the people that annoy me. I'm so annoyed. I'm just annoyed by that person. That's our persecution. We don't walk around with people on the earth that want us some. I mean, there are terrorist groups that want Americans dead, but we don't feel that because we're not neighbors with them. But when, when somebody who is neighbors with somebody who wants you dead... That puts Jesus' sayings in a very different light. And it makes sense that some people walked away. It's just too hard, Jesus. No, I'm not willing to do that. The vision Peter received, it reached into, one, eating foods. Because uh, in Mark, we see that he declared when Jesus is talking about what goes into the body is what... Not what defiles, but what comes out of the body, out from the heart is what defiles. Uh, There's little parentheses that Mark includes. It says, thus he declared all foods clean. So there's there's huge ramifications that are happening because now the diet, the fast is over. You can eat anything. But it's also a relational change too. It began a new relationship with God and his people. A new relationship with God and Israel and a new relationship with God because we are the new Israel. Now, does God have special affection for... Yeah, I believe so. Israel's still his nation, but is, is he, God's not looking to be a theocracy anymore over the nation of Israel to set up a king. And the Zion that, that we see in the Old Testament is now what we're looking for in heaven. The new Jerusalem is that Mount Zion. But yeah, things need to play out on the world scene too. The temple, temple needs to be rebuilt in order for uh, the abomination of desolation to come and set himself on the throne, uh, on the altar of sacrifice and establish a throne. Some of that, all that, I think all that needs to take place still. But God doesn't have the same type of relationship. He doesn't have the same type of covenant with Israel anymore. Jesus fulfilled that. And now we bear the the new covenant markings of all the promises that God wants to bring to the church. So, but Romans helps us. The Apostle Paul says, hold on, Gentile. Don't act like you got everything. 
Because you've got to appreciate it. I think that's where we come from as believers, why we, we have a, an affinity and affection for the nation of Israel, for Jewish people, is because hey, Jesus is Jewish. That's what... We're, we're appreciative and we're thankful. Now, what also should happen with uh, uh, believers, with Christians throughout the world? There should be a... Uh, we have to care, be careful about our call for justice and our anger with things. Um, there should be also a brokenness that comes. Israel has a right to defend themselves. They were provoked. They have a right to defend themselves. It's quite merciful that they said, you better leave. What other nation does that? Hey, just want to let you know, like Japan didn't do that on December 7, 1941. It, that's not how it works. But yet... We're coming. You have time. It's already merciful. I forgot where I was going with that. Oh, well. Oh, they have a right to defend themselves. But we have to also be broken. We're broken by Israeli children, bludgeoned and butchered. But we also, as believers, we feel something for the Palestinians too. Because they, they need to be saved too. And that's what this chapter brings to bear. God wants, and, and in his sovereignty and how he works things out, I don't know. But he has a heart for everyone to know Jesus. And we should reflect that. We should reflect that in our tone. We should reflect that in our tears. We should reflect that in our desire that people would hear from us. Peter starts putting things together because he goes, he's told without hesitation, but look at verse 23, the first part, first sentence. So he invited them in to be his guests. Peter has already applied the vision. He's already applied it. This was unlawful. This is what Jews didn't do. You didn't invite Gentiles into your home because then all of a sudden you made your entire house unclean. You can't go to the temple because it's ceremonially unclean. You need to wait seven days after you purify everything. And so you just didn't do that. But here Peter says, come on in, be my guests. Isn't that wonderful that Peter's doing that? Now, later on, Paul has to, we learn Paul writing in the Galatians that he, Peter was swayed at another point in his ministry, swayed with Barnabas to not hang out with the Gentiles. Like, yeah, we're just going to, yeah. Paul had to say, no, that's not the way it is. And I'm sure he said, Peter, remember Cornelius. Remember what God has done. See, uh, and he invites them in to be the guests. And that, that, that meant, come in, eat, spend the night. Tomorrow we'll go on the journey because it was about 31 miles and it took a long time to walk that. See, eating in Eastern culture is much different than how we know it to be. Uh, it was much more than just the substance that we're putting in our mouths. Eating was about relationship. The one that you were with, you were establishing a covenant with. Peter's invitation to them and his, his quick obedience to the Spirit was a huge moment of understanding what the Lord, that, that the Lord was reordering his perspective, his understanding, and his plan of how he thought the gospel would spread. 
And we learn this last part of verse 23 through verse 35. See, it spills over. If you have a heading and it starts at verse 34, it seems like verse 34 and 35 are connected. In my mind, they're connected to the other ones. Where Peter says something very profound. He says, God shows no partiality. He accepts those who fear him. See, the acceptance now is not based on a preference that Peter or the Jewish nation would have of Gentiles. Now, the acceptance is based on God's definition. And it's, it's important, and what was reordered was uh, Peter's associations. He was now building gospel associations. Because he tells them first, he says to Cornelius, and Cornelius just worships. And yeah, the heart of Cornelius is, I just want what God wants. And this is who God sent. All right, I'm going to bow down and worship him. Peter says, no, I too am a man. But why in the world did you go through all this trouble to bring me here? Because this is what Peter says. Look at verse 28. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone from another, of another nation. That's deep. Those were actually unlawful associations. Those were more based on tradition, not God's law. See, uh, God, all, all the way through from Genesis on, God has always had a heart for the nations. But if the nations keep on trying to annihilate you, you probably don't pay much attention to them, right? And so what, they, what the Jewish nation did, especially the Pharisees with adding so many laws to the Old Testament, they just kept adding and adding and adding. Uh, their, their laws were really traditions. We understand where it came from. But God has always had a plan to incorporate Gentiles, non-Jews, into the community of faith. He's always had that plan. You go back to the, the, or, uh, the um, inauguration of the temple with Solomon. When Solomon built the temple, he says, this is your house for the nations. And it's a house of prayer for the nations. God always intended for them to be involved in the community of faith. But we understand the hesitation. We understand why there was a distinction. But God is reordering who he accepts. But he's, ordering, he's reordering how the community of faith will accept one another. I love that Peter says... In verse, the, the second half of verse 28, but God, uh, Pastor Peter from Lakeview Christian Center, the buts in the Bible are great because they're huge. There's huge buts in the Bible, and this is one of them. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. Thankfully, Peter's getting this message real fast. He's understanding the vision really quickly. He invites them in, and he understands he should not call. It's not about eating things anymore. It's about people. It's about how he's relating to others. No person is to be unclean. No person is to be avoided. Because why? He goes on later in verse 34. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. God doesn't have favorites. Aren't we thankful? Because we look at other people and think, man, you're just gifted, you're talented, you're good looking, you've got to be favored by God. Well, the disciples struggle with that. 
Remember the rich ruler? How can I be saved? They thought, hey, you got a lot of money. You're favored from God. You have his blessing. Jesus says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter heaven. The disciples' minds were blown. Jesus has to repeat his statement because they said that who can be saved? Why do they say that? He's rich. Obviously, he's favored by the Father. Jesus said that's not the basis of acceptance. That's not the basis of favor. If we are his children, we're his favorite. And as much as we want to disqualify ourselves or think that we're not or promote somebody else, that's good to show honor to other people, but God doesn't have favorites. He loves us all. And he reorders the acceptance. This is what Peter understands. Fearing God is what makes one acceptable. Verse 35. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Fears him is a... That's a if, if, you, if you're trusting God and you're believing him for everything, that's the basis of acceptance before his throne. And now... The gospel power is shown to be for everyone in this last part. We, we, he then goes, and this is, we're here. I, I love this. Verse 33. Now, now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Like, Peter's going, Peter, just tell us what you got, man. I did what I'm supposed to do. I got you. What do you want to say? That's, that's a, a preacher's dream. What do you want to say? Yeah, Kerr laughed. <laughs> we love that. <laughs> Just open up the scriptures. Well, then he begins. I love it. Verse 36. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ. And he begins to unfold really what the, the core of the gospel is. Interestingly, this is the outline. These verses are the outline of the gospel of Mark. Uh, Mark probably used Peter's eyewitness testimony to write his gospel account. That's why there's, there's weird inclusions of details that are unnecessary, usually because that's from an eyewitness. An eyewitness will say, yeah, we were wearing blue that day. I don't know why. But and this is they just have the, all these unnecessary details. They're all over the gospel. And that's probably because Peter was telling Mark everything that happened, just taking him down the journey. Another cool thing is that Luke probably used a lot of Mary, the mother of Jesus, a lot of her eyewitness testimony to write his. So I love, I love those intricacies and how God uses the perspectives to bring the fullness of, of his, the revelation of Jesus to us. But he calls out, this is, here's the core, Jesus is the good news. He is God's anointed. He went about doing good and healing. We were witnesses of what he did. He was put to death. He was raised on the third day. And we know he was raised because we sat down and had a meal with him. We ate and drank with him. That's not usually something that you would say if it was an angelic visit. Jesus really did cook some fish and he ate it with them to show them it really is me. I'm eating this. It's not like falling through me. I'm not this weird illusion and I put the fish in my mouth and it falls out the back of my head. No, he really did ingest it because he's real. He's alive. And Peter says, and we're witnesses of this. So you have to always wonder. It's, oh, and, and then 
Jesus is the judge, but then we have, we have forgiveness through faith in Christ. Praise God, we have forgiveness through faith in Christ. And then the Spirit is poured out on the Gentiles. Verse 44, the Spirit interrupts Peter. Peter didn't even get to finish his sermon. While Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. Oh. And they began speaking in tongues and extolling God. What are we seeing? See, we had a Jewish Pentecost in chapter 2. We had a Samaritan Pentecost, chapter 8. Now we have a Gentile Pentecost. And Peter is at all three occasions to give authenticity, but also authority because he was looked at as the, because he stood up on the day of Pentecost, he's looked at as the leader of the disciples. And God used him to authenticate this is real. The gospel's power is for everyone who believes. Now, do we believe the gospel's power? That's where we come in because sometimes we doubt it. Do we believe the power of the gospel to show up in the categories of our lives that we're asking the Lord for? Like we prayed through last week. Keep on asking. Keep on praying. Because God's kingdom is expanding. And you know, he doesn't need us. He really could. He could use angels to say everything. But he doesn't do that. He uses us. He uses our stuttering He uses our blending of words like I always do. He uses everything. He uses how we are because we are his witnesses. So let's listen. Let's obey. Amen? Because God's going to use us to bring people to the faith. I believe that. The gospel's power is for us and it's to go through us. Lord, thank you so much for such a wonderful picture of the gospel's power. I pray, God, that we would see it and we would know it in all of the details of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I thank God that he saved Cornelius. And in some sense, he saved Peter. Um... I don't know, Jeff preaching just made me remind me of the call of Paul, and the statement can still be true for here. God sent Peter to Cornelius because he had us in mind. Um, God going after the Gentiles results in our salvation. Um, so, I could go on that. I'm, uh, you give a preacher a microphone, he goes forever. Um, but I uh, have some announcements. This is one of the, the things that we do, the announcements at the end, and why we do stuff in the church is because this is one way that we believe that we're fulfilling the Great Commission within our local body. And so we have a couple of announcements. Um, like I said, this Friday was the prayer night. Man, it was awesome, and I can't wait to have another one. And I hope that just as we continue, more and more people show up um, I even had some people, during one prayer, people stop because I guess they were going out to eat. They stopped me looking in, seeing what we were doing. I just wave. Um, that happened once, uh, so that was kind of cool. But um, So October 25th, 
is a big day. Men, this week, this Wednesday is our last men's meeting until the next year. Uh, so Shepherds has been going on for the last six weeks, and so we're going to have a big blowout this weekend, and we're actually making Shepherds Pie because it was Zach's idea. Since our group was called Shepherds, we should have Shepherds Pie together. And I said, great idea. Um, so the men, it's been, it's been really good. Um, so men, even if it's the last week and you haven't been a part of it, just come and dine with us. We're all going to eat around Jeff's big table, and we're just going to celebrate and just enjoy being together and just thank God that he is changing us into the men he wants us to be. Um, but October 25th, we have two big events, one for the youth and one for a new study group starting. So I'll start with the new study group. Jeff, October 25th, you can sign up online. It's $10 for the book. And the study is going to be really focused on contentment, seeing God's goodness in the world and in your life. Okay, and how to get to a state of contentment in Jesus Christ. So sign up online. You could use the QR code behind me, behind your seat, stuff like that. Sign up. It's going to be awesome. Contentment is a great topic to talk about because in our American culture, contentment is something that's foreign to us. Um, And so it'd be good just to be in the presence of people, believers, talking about that and seeing how how they can pursue contentment in their own life. Um, also, the same day, the youth are joining with another youth group in Tickfall, Louisiana, which seems like it's in Egypt. Um, but um, I have the privilege of meeting with a couple youth pastors and trying to do stuff with our youth and their youth. And this youth pastor, this husband and wife that's a youth pastor, team, just jumped on and said, yes, we want to do something together. So we did the Galactic Bowling last time with them. And this time we're going to do a harvest hangout. So if you know any youth that is not part of a youth community, invite them to come join us. We'll get some cars. We'll drive up there. We'll have pizzas. They're going to do worship for us. And they've got an awesome worship team. And so we're going to do some worship together. And then we're going to play games and hang out. So that's going to be at 6 p.m. there. So we need to meet here at 5.15 p.m. Because on the way, I have to drive, pick up the pizzas for the whole group. And then bring them the pizzas, and they bring in all the side dishes and stuff like that. But it's going to be a fun time just to actually get to know. The more and more, I believe, that our youth does with this youth group, because they're so excited, we'll get to see real relationships form and people doing mission together. Uh, So that's the idea of it. And so we couldn't call it a harvest, uh, a a Halloween party, or or whatever, because some of the parents would say, my kids are not going to that. So we decided to call it a harvest hangout, and we just changed the name a little bit. Um, so it'll be fun, and there'll be food and stuff like that. The next thing is um, the November 19th, we are going to do, we're going to celebrate Thanksgiving as a local body. So we're going to do uh, something a little bit different. We're going to meet here Sunday evening. So we'll have our normal service, and then Sunday evening, we're going to come back here, and we're going to celebrate Thanksgiving as a local body. Everybody bring a side dish, bring your favorite, bring shepherd's pie if you want, if that's what you like. I'm going to make the two turkeys. I'll make a Cajun turkey, and then I'll make some weird concoction. I always try to, like, experiment. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's bad. If it's bad, I apologize. Just eat the good Cajun one, okay? So I'm going to make two turkeys for us. Everybody bring side dishes. We'll have tables all set up right here, and we'll just celebrate Thanksgiving as a local body together uh, before y'all plans get crazy for the holiday season. Um, And look, if you have family members in that day, bring them. Free food's the best food. That's what my dad always told me. So here's a cool idea. If you ever get somebody to invite you to lunch, they most likely will pay. So just manipulate the situation, get them to ask you, and then you get free food. That's what my dad taught me. 
Um, and then the last thing is, right right now, after the service ends, we're going to Bogofalaya Park. It's a church family picnic. I got games for the kids and the adults. And then we have free food. Uh, hamburgers, hot dogs, chili, salad, side dishes, desserts, all that stuff. So if you... Don't if you plan to go, it's right after that. Just drive straight down the street about four blocks, um, or you could walk if you want to get to exercise before you eat all the food. Um, but and if you have friends, invite them, call them on the phone. Hey man, I'm going to this picnic, whatever. But we just do this. One of the things we do is once a month we do this as a church family, just to be together, just to hang out and do stuff together. Okay, so let us rise and let's say our benediction together which is the Great Commission. Listen to the sermon. We get to see that this first phrase, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I love that phrase. Even with what's going on right now in Israel, Jesus still has authority over there. And so... Let's say this great commission together, and let's say it so that and ask the Lord that he would do it together for us. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. God bless you.